Tim's going to come and bring us the word of God this morning. Good morning, church. Are you glad you came to the house of the Lord this morning? I wonder if you can turn in your Bibles to my favorite passage of Scripture, the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. While you turning there, I would like to give thanks to God and to testify of God's goodness. Um, as many of you know, a couple of weeks ago, or at the end of um, September, we, for the bank holiday weekend, Helen and I went up to the north of Scotland, traveled up to a place called Thurso, which is near Johnny Groats. Um, but Two days before we were due to go, I felt a little feverish, um, some body pains. We had some friends over for dinner, um, and they came over to us to cook dinner for us. So we bless God for good friends. But um, while we were having dinner, I just wasn't feeling well. And the next morning I went to work, and at about 11, I said to them, look, I'm going to head home. I'm just not well. Um, so I drove back home from London because I worked down in London. And um, we left the Thursday night, we drove up to Yorkshire, we left Samuel in Yorkshire with my mother and father-in-law, and the Friday morning we drove up to, to John O'Groats, um, and we stopped, on, on the way in Scotland we stopped in a little village and we had lunch, and then Helen said, well I just want to look around at some of the shops, and I said, you carry on, I'm going to go lay in the car for a little bit, because I'm just feeling a little tired, so I went and I laid in the car. An hour later, she woke me up and we carried on on our journey. We got up to um, Thurso the Friday evening and um, I walked into our aunt's home and we went and I laid on, in, on the floor in front of the fire because she's always got the fire going all year through and I fell fast asleep. She woke me up for dinner. I didn't eat anything. The Saturday morning, Helen woke me and it, she, she realized everything, things just weren't right. Um, she told me to get dressed and I just laid back down and she eventually dressed me and said, look, I'm taking you to the hospital. When she came back, I was trying to put my pajama pants on my head and push my arms through the legs. And she was like, what are you doing? I said, I'm getting dressed. And so she took me to the hospital and we went to a hospital in a, pl in a town called Wick. They rushed us to the airport, flew, me with a, flew us with a helicopter. I remember getting into the helicopter and I remember getting out. I don't remember anything else. Flew us down to um, to, thir to Inverness where I was admitted to hosp in, into hospital. And there's lots of stuff that I don't remember. People have told me stories about some of the things that I did or tried to do. and um, But for a lot of it, I was very delirious. Um, and I remember the doctors asking me questions. And I knew the answers, but I couldn't get the words out. I was just giving arbitrary words. Um, but I was there for... In, in hospital for five days and we thank God for the prayers of the saints because all around the world people were praying um, when when they heard about it I know of people praying up in Yorkshire Dallas um, Alabama around the world in Australia New Zealand South Africa I don't know half the people that were praying for me but you know in Christ we have a family that is enormous and when one of God's children suffers and when the saints begin to pray, the Bible says where two or three agree on anything. You know, we had saints around the world. I don't know how many thousands were praying. Um, 
but because of the prayers of the saints. The consultant that was treating me, when he discharged me, he said, I'm baffled. I don't know what happened here. I don't know what it was. I don't know whether we treated you and cured you or whether you got cured on your own. Um, if ever you find out, please let me know. Every test that they did came back negative. And he came, every time he would say, we're going to run this test. I don't know what the results are going to be. But if it comes back negative, at least we know it wasn't that. Um, when they discharged me, they gave me a sheet with a full list of the types of tests that they ran. I had MRI, CT scan, abdominal scans, lumbar puncture, and a whole host of other blood tests. Um, if you ask Helen, my arm was like a, I looked like a bit of an addict. I had puncture marks all through my arms um, from the drips and from the bloods that they were taking. But they found nothing. Thanks be to God for the prayers that went up and for, the, for answer to prayer. And the blessing on top of that, the doctor said I can stay at home for a month. So I spent a month at home with my wife and my son watching him grow. It was brilliant. And now I had to go back to work on Monday. But we bless the Lord. I've had a good week at work and I'm ready for another month at home. <laughs> Praise God. But thank, thank, I want to thank the Lord and I want to thank each one of you for your prayers, for all of the prayers that went up. Now that's given you time to find Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by God to be an apostle of Christ. It is written to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. Some translations say it is written to God's holy people who are faithful followers. Is any of God's people here this morning? Okay, some of you look a little bit confused as to whether you are God's people or not. I enjoy response, so please feel free all through. If there's something you agree with, say amen. If there's something you disagree with, come see me afterwards, okay? But feel free, just respond. May grace and peace be yours, sent to you from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. The verse that blesses my heart immensely. How we praise God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms because we belong to Christ. Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us. And you can put me there if you like. God loved me and he chose me in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt me into his family by bringing me to himself through Christ Jesus. And this gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the wonderful kindness he poured out on me because I belong to his dearly loved son. He is so rich in kindness that he purchased our freedom through the blood of his son and our sins are forgiven. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God's secret has now been revealed to us. It is a plan centered on Christ, designed a long time ago according to his good pleasure. This is his plan. At the right time, God will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. And furthermore, because of Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us from the beginning and all things happen just as God decided long ago. God's purpose was that we who were the first to trust in Christ should praise our God. And now you have heard the truth, the good news, that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us everything he promised and that he purchased us to be his own people. 
This is just one more reason to praise our God. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord and of your love for Christians everywhere, I have never stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the wonderful future that he has promised for those he has called. I want you to realize what a rich and a glorious inheritance he has given to his people. I pray that you will begin to understand the incredible greatness of his power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead, seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Verse 21. Now, he, speaking of Jesus, is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else in this world or in the world to come. And God has put all things under the authority of Christ and he gave him this authority for the benefit of the church. For the benefit of who? Who's the church? Okay, so that authority is for us. And the church is, the, is his body. It is filled by Christ who fills everything, everywhere with his presence. We're going to reference this. So keep Ephesians chapter 1 open. But another scripture that's a very familiar scripture is John chapter 10 verse 10. That says the thief comes for one purpose. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. I don't know, how many of you have seen this happening around you? In, in the natural realm, theft, murder, destruction is on the increase. In the spiritual realm, the enemy is active, stealing, killing, and destroying hope, love, families, joy, health. He's out there and he's rampant. But you know, it's not all doom and, and gloom because Jesus said in that same passage, I am come that you might have life and that you might have life more abundantly. Okay, did you hear that? Why has Jesus come? So that you might have? Right? What life is he speaking about? He's speaking about eternal life. I've come that you might have eternal life. If you've accepted Christ, you have eternal life. So what does he mean when he says, I'm come that you might have life and that you might have life more abundantly? Or in other words, that you might have life in abundance. What does that mean? That's not just for heaven. I believe that is for, yeah, God's plan and intention is for you here on earth to have abundant life. Now, if you'd bear with me for a minute, um, I'll ask Ellen, my beautiful helper, just to assist me here for a minute. If you can just hold the saucer or the plate. Okay, so what does abundant mean? Okay. We'll just move forward, yeah, so everybody can see. Away from the... They're a bit nervous that I'm going to spill it all over the show. But what does abundant mean? Much. Much. Any other words? Overflowing. Okay? So that scripture then says that you might have life that is overflowing. So... Is this abundant? If you've got nothing and you need water, this is abundant. But if you've got life, is that abundant? 
Not sure anymore? Okay. If you have it, and if you have life, is that abundant? No? Okay. Is that abundant? Is it abundant? Okay. Thank you, Ellen. <laughs> when it's overflowing, we said it's abundant. Okay, so in other words, God's intention is that you should have life that is overflowing. I wonder, have you ever asked or seen somebody and you say to them, how are you doing? I don't know if you've ever heard this response. Man, I'm doing well under the circumstances. Um, you know, I'm coping. I'm making ends meet. I'm, I'm hanging in there. Does that sound like abundant life? Have you ever heard a Christian say that to you? How are you doing, brother? Under the circumstances, praise God, I'm doing well. Do you know God is not under your circumstances? And it's not his intention for you to be under circumstances. Its intention was for you to overcome. I don't know, maybe in your church, um, you have these Christians where you see them coming and you think, hey, is there anybody else I can talk to? Because they're going to just tell me about the latest problem that they're facing, how miserable life is. Um, and all they want to share is their misery of life. And you don't want to be rude, but you'd rather talk to somebody else. Because after the service, you've had a wonderful time and then you can see them heading towards you. And you think, oh Lord, just, oh praise God, so nice to see you brother. Excuse me a minute, I just need to chat to this brother. A few, yeah. Somebody once said, when they were asked, how are you doing? He said, I have the devil on the run. I'm running and he's chasing me. How many know that that is not the abundant life that God is talking about? God's intention was not for the devil to be chasing you around. What did Jeremiah 29, 11 say? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for you to live under the circumstances and to make ends meet and to not cope with the pressures of life. Yes? No? Okay. We've got a yes and a no there. We're not quite sure. That's not what God's word says. God says, I know the plans for you that I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope, a future, and an expected end. What does the scripture say? Where is our hope? Our hope is in Christ. God has a plan. So the question I want to ask is, why then are we not living abundant life? We've had some definitions of abundance. The, di the dictionary describes, this, describes it as an overflowing fullness, an ample sufficiency, profusion, copious supply, superfluity, wealth, and a great or plentiful amount of amount fullness to overflowing so when jesus said i am come that you might have life and that you might have life that is overflowing or life that is plentiful that doesn't mean that you're not going to have challenges and problems in life no that everything is going to be rosy because a lot of people believe when i come to christ everything's just going to go right it's glorious serving the lord is glorious John 16, says, in the world, you will have tribulation. Jesus promises, you're going to have problems. But you know what? You're not under the circumstances because he said, be of good courage. Be encouraged. 
I have overcome the world. And if God has overcome or Christ has overcome the world, then you can be an overcomer irrespective of the fact that you have problems. Okay? So then what hinders us? I want to look at a few things, three things actually, that potentially restrict some of us from experiencing this abundant life that God has promised. And the first thing is we are prisoners to our past. We need to be prisoners to Christ Jesus. What is a prisoner? Anybody? A prisoner. No freedom. You're in confinement. Somebody that's in captivity. For many, even though we have surrendered our lives to Christ Jesus, we have not left our past behind. We carry it with us. The hurts of the past, we carry it with us. Unforgiveness, we carry it with us. These things hold us in captivity. Rejection. Somebody's rejected you. So you feel unworthy. And when we come to God, we accept Christ. But we still continue be feeling unworthy. And it holds us. Because when God wants to use us, the enemy comes and says, Do you really think that he could use you? Do you remember in 1975 what you did? Now for a lot in 1975, you won't be here. So you won't remember. But the enemy comes with these things. The unworthiness. As I said, sickness and disease. Maybe you've heard somebody, you ask them, how's your week been? Oh, you know my arthritis. It's not your arthritis. The Bible says by his stripes you have been healed. Let it go. Don't hold on to these things. But we come to the cross. We accept the Lord. And we, we lay down these burdens. And then we get up and we put it back on. And we walk away. And we wonder why. Why am I always going through this? It's because we are held prisoner by these hurts, by these pains. We're held captive and it prevents us from becoming all that God has intended for us to be. We need to leave it at the cross. Jesus said, cast your cares upon me. Leave it there. He didn't say take it. He said, take my yoke. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Leave your one with me. Look what Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says. Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and he chose you. Before the creation of the world, he said, I choose Anna. I want Anna. Irrespective of what happened in Anna's life as a child, as an adult, I choose her. God chose you. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 says, for you, and you can put your name there, you are a chosen generation. God has chosen you. As an aside, we have different generations and God has chosen you. You're a chosen generation. You see, I cannot reach Paul's generation as effectively as Paul can reach his friends. Paul can't necessarily reach my friends and colleagues as effectively as I can. You are chosen for your generation. You are chosen by God. You are a chosen generation. Irrespective of what you've done in the past, God's not interested in that. He said, I've chosen you. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, If any man or any woman be in Christ, you are a new creature. The things of the past, the old things, they are passed away. They're the past. Leave it. And everything in your life has become new. So why do we carry those hurts? Why do we carry that pain? 
that unforgiveness. Because every time something happens, it comes back. Yeah, you know, that pastor in that church, the way they hurt me, they overlooked me. I'll come join this church. But every time, that, leave that at the cross. Move on. Be released. Become a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Or Romans in Romans chapter 8 um, verse 1 it says, There is therefore now, there is therefore now, no condemnation. Nobody can condemn you for the things of the past. Oh yeah, you know they may know in the community. He was a player. He used to mess around with all the women. Now that you come to Christ, you regret it. There's no condemnation. To those that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And when the enemy comes and says, yeah, but remember what you did. And so we feel condemned. But there's no need to feel condemned. Because Christ has set you free. The things of the past are in the past. Leave them there. Those hurts and those pains, leave it at the cross and take the, take the yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you are in Christ, you are not condemned for your past. God sees you blameless because he sees you through the blood of Jesus Christ. You are made new. I said we need to become prisoners of Christ, Je- of, of Christ Jesus. You know, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 1, he opens and he says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now he was, he was physically a prisoner of Christ, uh, a prisoner um, in, in Ephesus. He was, he was locked up because he was preaching the gospel. But he was doing it for Christ. And he, was a pris- he said he was a prisoner of Christ Jesus. You and I need to become prisoners of Christ Jesus. You know, being a prisoner of Christ is not bringing you into captivity. On the contrary, it brings you freedom. Because the Bible says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. If we leave everything behind and we become prisoners of Christ, we can walk in freedom. We don't have to be prisoners of, of our past and carry those things with us. The second reason we miss out on what God has for us, on this abundant life, is because we have this identity crisis. How do you know who somebody is? Anybody? Spending time with them? So, we walk into a room, I've never met you before, and I sit down with you, and we have a conversation just about everything. I never ever ask you your name. I never ever ask you maybe where you're from. And we walk out. And you meet your wife and you say, man, I was chatting to this chap. We're beautiful. We're best friends. What's his name? Don't know. He has no identity. You don't know. Your identity comes from your name. It comes from your past. Okay? In many countries in South Africa, we have an identity document. Right? That document has a number. And that's your identity number. It is supposed to be unique. Nobody else is supposed to have that same number. Right? In, in many homes, you have shredders to shred letters that have your name and your address. So nobody can steal your identity. How many saw the film, The Born Identity? Okay? There was a man that forgot who he, he didn't know who he was. He lost his memory. He didn't have an identity. When he found his passport, he found seven or eight passports with different names from different countries. 
He was having an identity crisis. Many of us have identity crises. When I, when I, if I ask you, who are you? You don't know who you are. Okay. Who are you? You're Elizabeth. When I was a kid, when I was a young man, young person growing up, when you wanted to date a young lady in the old days, you went and you met the parents and you spoke to the parents. Um, and you know, very often they would ask you, so who are you? Oh, I'm Timothy Creamer. Oh. Yes, you're the son of who? Who's your father? Who's your grandfather? Oh, they come from a good line. That's a good family. Okay? It establishes identity. I know the grandfather. I remember him. You remember him, Edward? Yes. But you know, in Christ, a lot of us don't know who you are. Who are you in Christ? You're his child? Yeah. Let me tell you, and I want you to turn to the neighbor, your neighbor now, and tell them, I am a prince, and I'm a princess of the kingdom of God. Turn to them and introduce yourself. You are an heir of the father. You're a joint heir with the son. So from now on, now on, don't say, hey, you, excuse you, you, you call me by my rightful title. I'm Prince Timothy. Okay? <laughs> Address me <laughs> correctly. But what is an heir? I'm not speaking about the heir that you breathe. Somebody that receives an inheritance. It's described as a person that is legally entitled to the property or the rank of another person. So you are legally entitled to the property or the rank of another person. A person who inherits or continues the work of a predecessor. That's what the dictionary describes it as. So if you are an heir of the father and a joint heir with the son, then you can put your name and you say, I, Timothy, am legally entitled to the property of my father and the rank of Christ Jesus. Because I'm a joint heir, and I am due to inherit everything that he's promised, and to continue the work of my predecessor, Christ Jesus. That's who I am. Who are you? The Bible says in, in Ephesians, God's plan was to adopt you. You have been adopted. And that scripture says it was God's unchanging plan. The dictionary describes adoption as to legally take somebody's child that's not your own as your own and give them everything, entitle them to everything that was yours. Scripture says we have been given the spirit of adoption whereby we can cry, Abba, Father. But you know, this, this adoption is not a legal adoption. The adoption that we have is in blood. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, it has made us part of the bloodline of Christ Jesus. What does that word bloodline mean? You know, if, if you said, let's look at their bloodline. The bloodline determines a set of ancestors or a line of descent of an important person. In today's world, if you wanted to determine paternity, how would you go about doing it? DNA. I'm stand to speak under correction, and Alan, you can correct me here, but 
I believe that a DNA test is the most accurate test that we have at present to determine paternity. Potentially. Okay. Do you know that because of Jesus, you are of the DNA of God? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, it washes all your sins. It's brought you into the family of God. You carry the DNA of the Most High God. The scripture says you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. In the Old Testament, there were three categories of people that were anointed. The prophets, the priest, and a king. You and I have been anointed as prophets, priests, and kings. You're a king because you've been anointed by the Spirit of God. We need to realize who we are. Realize our identity. Get over this identity crisis. Third point. Because we don't know who or whose we are, we do not realize the benefits and the responsibility that comes with sonship. Peter is Philip's dad. When it comes to Peter, Philip has more benefits than I would because that's his son. He will benefit from everything that Peter gives him or has when one day Peter passes on. It will go to his son and his daughter. Okay? There's sonship. There's that relationship. It's family. You and I are family of the Most High God. We have access to an inheritance and benefits that are from God. But with sonship comes responsibility. You can't just do anything that you like without the consequences. As parents get older, and I know this is changing more, but as parents get older, it's your responsibility to look after them. It's your responsibility. You don't just put them in a retirement home and say, right, I'll see you at Christmas. No, you have a responsibility. They cared for you. You have a responsibility to care for them. There's a responsibility. There's accountability. And likewise, we as children of God, by virtue of our position in Christ as an heir to the throne of God, you have power, you have authority, you have an inheritance, and you have a responsibility. You know, if you look at um, Prince Charles or William or Harry, the moment they do something, out of line. Out of line as a consequence of their position. You see, they go out partying and they get drunk and they're falling into the car. It's splashed over the newspaper. If I went out drunk and I fell into the car, it wouldn't be splashed over the newspaper because of their position versus my position. They have a responsibility because of their position. You have authority. Authority is defined as the right to act in a specified way, delegated from one person to another. If you look at a police officer. You, was, you were driving along. And I was, if I was a police officer dressed as I am and I stepped out and I said, stop. 
How many people are going to stop? Most will swerve and they'll continue driving. But if I'm in uniform and I carry the badge and I say stop, that badge gives me authority. The authority, I know that stepping out with that badge, I have the backing of the police force in this area and the, the government stands behind me because of the, of the, by virtue of that badge. He's been delegated in authority. You know, a few years ago when Helen and I were dating, I used to live 600 kilometers away from the town that I grew up in and I was taking her down to meet my parents. We got in the car. The speed limit in South Africa is probably about 75 miles an hour or 80 miles an hour or equivalent of 80 miles an hour. Um, but, you know, I used to drive a, a big 4x4 uh, four four and it was a V6 engine and 80 miles an hour just seemed so slow. And doing 600 kilometers at 80 miles an hour was going to take me six or seven hours. So when I got into the car, I set my speedometer or my um, speedo cruise at 105, 110 miles an hour. It was a nice speed. It was, you know, we were just cruising. And as I was going along, there was a, a truck um, in front of me. And suddenly, I saw smoke coming out in the trailer. And I slammed on brakes. And I realized that he stopped. Because out at the side of the road, a policeman ran to stand in the road and put his hand up and tell me to stop. Because I was speeding. And I had to take the consequences of what I was doing. But I couldn't continue because he had the authority to stop me. He didn't have the power to stop my vehicle. But he had the authority to stop my vehicle. Do you see the difference between power and authority? If he tried to stop that vehicle coming at 110 miles an hour, put his hands on the bonnet. I failed. I won't want to think what would have resulted. But power is described as the ability or the capacity to do something or to act in a particular way. You have been given authority and you have been given power. God's plan in the book of Genesis was for us to rule. God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. They will be masters over all life, over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, all livestock, wild animals, and small animals. God's plan for you was to rule. The King James says they will have dominion. Everything should have been under our control. And then the enemy came and robbed us because of sin. But what Satan robbed, when he robbed us of that authority, Christ Jesus restored that authority. Thank you, Jane. That's exciting. I've been given authority to rule and have dominion. And because we don't realize it, it doesn't necessarily excite some of us. So I'm going to say that again. Jesus Christ has restored to us the authority and the power that Satan has robbed from us. Ephesians chapter 1. Look what verse 20 says. Uh, the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead, seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else in this world, in the world to come. And God has given him this authority for the benefit of the church. God has given him this authority for our benefit, but we don't realize it. 
quickly Psalms chap Psalm chapter eight. This psalm starts out and says, Oh Lord, what is what is man that you are mindful of him? If we go down um, to verse five, you have made us a little lower, a little lower than God. You have crowned us with glory and honor. You have put us in charge of everything you made, giving us authority over all things. God has given you authority. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Go he therefore. In other words, I'm giving you this authority. Like the police officer that carries a badge, that carries the authority, you carry the authority in the name of Jesus that has the backing of the hosts of heaven's armies that when you call upon that name, heaven reacts. You carry that your authority in the name of Jesus. You have power because the Bible says in Acts, after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall receive power. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19 says, I pray that you will begin to understand the incredible greatness of his power for us who believe. And Luke chapter 9 verse 1, the Bible says, one day Jesus called his disciples together. He gave them power and authority to cast out demons and to heal diseases. Jesus said, the things I do, you shall do also. Greater things than these shall you do in my name. Amen. You and I have been given power and authority. We should be doing the things that Jesus was doing. Jane said, we want to hear testimony of the miracles that are taking place where Peter is ministering. The same power and authority that's been given to Peter has been given to each one of us. We should be seeing testimony having testimony of the miracles taking place. Yeah, because it's the same Christ. It's not Peter, it's Christ Jesus. It's the name of Jesus. It's the Spirit of God that operates through him. And it's time that we, that miracles and healings and deliverance becomes the expected behavior of the church, not the unexpected. We shouldn't be surprised when miracles come. The world might be surprised, but we should be expecting it every time we interact with people. It should happen. We have power, we have authority, and then we have a responsibility. Because 1 Peter 2, 9 says, you're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood, a peculiar people, a holy nation. Why? That you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness. You see, every time William and Harry fall out drunk, it doesn't bring praise to the throne, to the monarchy. It brings disrepute. But when they become, he becomes a helicopter pilot, a rescue pilot. The monarch is doing something good. It's flash. It brings praise. Likewise, we were called and given a responsibility to bring praises. To bring the praises of him that has called us out of darkness. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall receive power. Why? So you shall be my witnesses. You will witness about him. You'll bring praise to him. That's why you've been given the power and authority. Because you represent the throne. You see, in the Old Testament, you're a royal priesthood. The priest represented the people before God. And he represented God 
to the people. You're a royal priesthood. In the same way royalty, when Prince Charles flies to the United States, as the monarch, he represents the country. You and I as royalty, as heirs of the throne of God, we represent a royal country. We need to show forth the praises. You have a responsibility and the benefits. You have an inheritance as a son. Verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. God is spirit. So everything God does is spiritual. When you're in need of finance, it's a spiritual blessing when he provides for you. When you're in need of healing, it's a spiritual blessing when he provides for you. He has already done it. The Bible says he has blessed us. It's past tense. It's already done. It's already there. We as sons need to take hold of the blessing that he has given us. Verse 11. We have received an inheritance from God. Verse 14. The Spirit of God is the guarantee that He has give us, given us everything He has promised. He's given us a promise and He's given us a guarantee that He will give us that which He has promised. Verse 18. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so you can understand the wonderful future He has promised for those He has called. Every promise in the book is yours as a child. No weapon formed against you will prosper. No tongue that rises against you in judgment. Any tongue that rises against you in judgment, you can condemn. You have the right to condemn it, the scripture says, because this is the heritage of the righteous. Scripture says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging for bread. It's a promise. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. By his stripes, you have been healed. God will do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask or even begin to imagine. These are promises. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it entered the minds of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. These promises are yours. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. As a son, it's yours. When you and I, begin to walk in our rightful positions in Christ Jesus. We begin to walk according to God's plan. The plan that says, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope, a future and an expected end. We will begin to experience this abundant life. And we said abundance means overflowing. And as you and I begin to walk in that abundant life, we will begin to overflow. What happens when it overflows? It begins to affect others. As you begin to walk in abundant life, your family will experience and you will become a witness. You will be taking your responsibility. As it begins to flow, your workplace will begin to experience a difference. They will say there's something different about Peter. There is something different about Jean-Marie. What is it? As that abundant life begins to flow, it will begin to impact your family, your work, your community, the church. These things will become everyday experiences. You will begin to witness. You don't have to speak about it. You don't have to preach about it. You don't have to bash them on the head and say, you must be saved. They will want what you have because it begins to flow. 
out of you. They begin to see. When they come to you and they say, ah, I'm not feeling well, I've had such a bad day. Not a problem in Jesus' name, be healed. They may have been wanting a day off from work, but you've just allowed them to be productive again. It will begin to flow as that abundant life begins to overflow. But when they come to you and they say to you, oh, you know what a bad day, not as bad as mine. Oh, That's not being a witness. That's not the abundant life. As you and I begin to step up, take our places as sons and as daughters of the Most High God, we will begin, and as we, t- as we begin to walk according to His plan, we will begin to experience the abundant life. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have life more abundantly.